What's up, y'all? This is Tiny and Kelvin Smith. Running back DeAndre Torrey. Senior receiver Michael Lawrence. Senior guard DJ Draper. And you're listening to Bruni's Breakdown Podcast, your home for North Texas sports. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Bruni's Breakdown, the 24-7 sports podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Bruni. And with me, once again, is Colin Mitchell. Colin how are you doing tonight? Just physically, how are how are you feeling? Last Phys- week we were phys- sick. physically. I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, Monday after the podcast or Sunday, that Sunday night after last week's podcast, you got me very sick, and I blame you for everything that I experienced throughout the week. It's but okay. we're here today, and we're we're both good. Yeah, we we survived. You know, I still have a little bit of con- congestion, but <clears throat> I'm doing all right. Oh, there's a cough right there. All right, yeah, never had mind. To, we're completely had to, sick. had to get some something broken up. Yeah. Some mucus. All right. Sure. Better than last week, though. Hopefully, More yeah. energy today. Exactly, exactly. Man, Colin. I don't know how to ease into this topic, Colin. There's I, no way to ease into it. North Texas lost to Charlotte 39-38, to and uh, the season's over. The end. How'd I do? Man. Ah! <laughs> ah, it's tough. First, Brittany, let me ask you this. Is there a glimmer of hope left, or was that it? Okay. We so have, we have to, you have to preface it with this, because the fans need to know... What gonna, they're getting into. We're going to start with our panic meter or something? No, no, no. no. We're going start, to start. You started last week's podcast saying that there was a glimmer of hope and that you believe there was a glimmer of hope. Is yes. there a glimmer still? Be honest. No. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> so, I'm only, I'm not laughing at Bruni. I'm just laughing at the fact that it's come to this. So, man. All right, let's, let's, let's quickly, before we get into the game recap, uh, let's quickly run through this season we've gone through it from season or game recap no no before we get to the game i just want to explain how we got to this point because it is funny it is uh it's not funny but it's it's uh interesting ironic okay it's ironic sure so we started the season off colin uh you and i had this grand vision we i remember when we did the preview over a week you know yeah preview week preview week we had preview week we came up with a creative hashtag, hashtag, hashtag this, this is it. it. You uh, had a magazine cover with Rico Bussy, Mike Mason Fine, and Ladarius Hamilton on the front. That was amazing. We I had stories on everything. I had stories on how Mason and Latrell were planning on capitalizing on this year. We had a damn hashtag that is said, this is it. This team has 24 seniors on it. And this was it. They lost SMU. It was like, okay, you know, that's okay. Lost to Cal, lost to Houston. The Houston loss was really where it started to become like, whoa, what is happening? Then the Southern Miss loss happened. Then you take it up another level. And I think that's where our panic meter has done well, done a good job in kind of tracking where we've been. Yes. So the, the Houston loss and the Southern Miss loss. Then last week happened and... I stayed at an eight on the panic meter. You dropped down to an eight on the panic meter, um, and we'll get into our panic meter. Yeah, let's later not on. let's not give away anything about no, no, the panic no, meter. No, 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 we're not, we're not. But now we're at the point where we've come on this podcast, and you start off by asking me, "Is there a glimmer of hope?" Yes. And we still have four weeks left in the season. Four. I'm sorry, we have five weeks. Four. Um. Four games. Four games. Because yeah. I believe there's one buy in there. Things have changed in a hurry, Colin. Things have... A train 
has just come and taken everything out. <laughs> and that is where we are right now. We are in the leftovers of a train hitting like let's say the season was like a like a scarecrow or something that you put in the train tracks and the train just came and took it away. That's it. I like the scarecrow analogy because it's almost it's Halloween. Halloween. Colin, I'm I'm always three steps ahead, Colin, all right? <laughs> always three steps never, ahead. Never never assume that I'm behind. But okay, that Colin, was amazing. Like you said, North Texas lost 39 to 38 to Charlotte. Charlotte's two wins this season have come against Gardner-Webb, who I believe is an FCS school, and UMass, who is probably the worst FBS school in the country. Yes, worse than UTSA. Bar none. Worse than UTSA, worse than everybody. Charlotte blew both of them out. They lost to FAU. They lost, they lost to FIU. They lost to... A, a, you, you name it. Don't really name it. Because they were 2-5. and five. They were 2-5 and five overall. They were 0-4 in conference play. North Texas goes to Charlotte, goes to a stadium that holds 15,000 people. And I just from what we saw on the TV, there were probably 3,000 people there. It was, I'm, I don't know what the weather was, but it was raining. It was, it stopped. It was slick. It was just not good conditions, but nobody was there. There's, you're playing on a neutral site. You're wearing nice gray uniforms. I actually like those uniforms too. So that's, that's probably the only good thing today. Oh no, there were there were some good things. Two good things. There were some good we'll things. We'll get into those. There were just a lot. There were just some staggering bad things, and so they go out there, and we're sitting here watching the game in the first half, and I don't want to say that we were bored, but you could just tell like the quality of football was not at a high level. It was very low. It was just like the defenses were bad. I mean, North Texas was scoring on like. Jair shorter bombs on J- Jalen Darn. Like they were scoring on big plays, which again goes back to what we said in the past where before Middle Tennessee, where Southern Miss, where it was kind of a boomer bust thing for the offense. Mm-hmm. So in the first half, they were hitting the big plays. They were scoring. Um, let me pull up the drive chart real, real quick um, by team. So yeah, they end up, they start the game failing to convert on a fourth down on a fourth and two run play, which we will talk about. We have a question on that topic. There's tons of stuff today. There's so much to talk about. Thank you all for your questions, by the way. We're not going to answer them specifically. Actually, we might answer them specifically. We're going to do it similar to how we did, I forgot, a couple weeks ago where we go over a topic and we just kind of give everyone credit at the end for the Exactly, exactly. But we do have a question segment at the end, so we will answer y'all's questions. Um, They go and score back-to-back touchdowns. Again, minute 47 drive, minute 11 drive. Like They're doing things quick. Then they go... Um, four plays and punt, then three minute drive punt, then again fifty two second touchdown. Boomer bust. That's all. That's all I have to say. That's all this. Whenever this team struggles to find consistency against a bad defense, they're still going to put up points because they have talent, but they're not going to be able to sustain drives. They're not going to be able to consistently put pressure on the defense. So it's like, all right, either Jair Shorter is going to make a play forty yards down the field, or we're going to punt, or they're going to turn it over. Something like that. And that just keeps bad teams in the game. So, again, they take a substantial lead. Um, going into halftime, they end up taking a 21-7 to lead. Like, they led 14-0 at the end of the first quarter. They end up taking a 21-7 to lead at the end of the 
into the half. And then the second half happens, and I believe it goes to 21-14. Then North Texas scores to go up 28-14. And then when Charlotte scored again to go 28-21, that's when everyone was like, all right, Charlotte's not going away. Like, Charlotte's not lying down. And then also, another thought that crept into my mind was, all right, North Texas can't stop them. Because time after time after time, North Texas had chances to pull away, pull away, and then Charlotte comes down and scores a touchdown. And you're like, okay. I can't even read off this drive chart. But basically, I'll tell you this. Charlotte scored five straight touchdowns in the second half. Every single possession they had in the second half was a touchdown. I'm not even joking. I don't understand. That summarizes so much for me, but it's still hard to comprehend how a defense of North Texas's perceived caliber allows that to Charlotte. Who Charlotte's not the worst offense in the world. I'm not going to say that they're the worst offense in the world. They average they're like, they're bad. They average 400. You yards. and I both said coming into this game that if they if Mason could take any game off, this was the game that he could take off because they'd be up big. You're right. You're right. And because we also said that they're not going to sit him at home. Uh, but basically, Benny LeMay ran the ball all over North Texas. Chris Reynolds. Chris Reynolds. Look like goddamn Tom Brady. <laughs> I don't know. He looked more like a Cam Newton. What's okay, the, yeah, yeah, Cam, Cam Newton. Newton. Cam Newton. My God, he ran for ninety yards. He passed for a career or a season high three hundred thirty yards. Basically. Threw for three touchdowns. Threw for three touchdowns. Ran for one. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing, and I mean that in both a good way and a bad way. It was amazing in that I cannot believe how bad North Texas defense was. And it was amazing in a sense that, wow, Chris Reynolds is having fun and Charlotte is going around dancing every time they scored in North Texas face and they can't do anything about it. Yeah. I literally said to you (laughs) three times, I'm like, wow, Charlotte is dancing. They're dancing on North Texas. Now their dancing isn't a problem. I don't care. But like Charlotte, a team that's 0-4 in conference play comes out and they don't fear North Texas at all. And so much so that when they score a touchdown to cut it to, I think that the main dance it was, was the 28-14, whenever they, you first mentioned it. Yeah, it was like three or four separate times. And I'm like, they know that they're down, but they know that they have a shot here. And they know that they're playing a lot more loose. They know that they're playing with a lot less to lose. And they just put it on North Texas. Drive after drive after drive. Meanwhile, North Texas was doing good things offensively. They were doing good things offensively here. But again, they weren't able to sustain the drive. And they weren't able to pick up the yardage that they needed to to put the game away. And then you add that. You you compound that with the blocked field goal that happened in the second half. And... You compound it with Mason Fine missing a couple throws, missing a throw on third down that could have ended the game. Uh, it wasn't an easy throw to Jalen Darden on the little out route, but he didn't hit it. They settle for a field goal. Charlotte goes down, gets the ball with a minute, 12 seconds left, drives 75 yards in 54 seconds for a touchdown on basically a heave from Reynolds 
to uh, Victor, I believe his last name is. Let me make sure I, I don't get it out. Victor Tucker for a touchdown with Cam Johnson kind of draped all over him, but it's kind of been the story of North Texas cornerback season is like they're in position, but they either get a penalty or they can't make a play. And they didn't make a play. So the touchdown pretty much put them up with, and then they went for two and they couldn't get the two-point conversion. So they went up 39-38 with 18 seconds left. And North Texas had kind of a chance. And then the Hail Mary happened at the end and the protection kind of gave out and Mason fumbled it and the game was over. Um, Two things I feel like I didn't give enough context to. North Texas was up 35-21 to start the fourth quarter. Yeah. Now, obviously, Charlotte had the ball and they were driving. They scored within 20 seconds of the start of the fourth quarter, so make of that what you will. But, like, they had a two-touchdown lead. And so then it just eroded from there and it unfolded and it was, I mean, we have the Old Dominion game last year for some, at least, context of this happening before. So I I don't think this was as bad as that because that was kind of, that was embarrassing. No, this is way worse than the Old Dominion one last year. Well, this is embarrassing. No, 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 no. Why is it worse? This ended the season. Old Dominion did not end the season. We still knew, yeah, they'll get, they'll win eight games or however many. We still knew the team was good. We still knew that Mason was going to get his numbers. Rico was going to get his numbers. There's nothing left. Literally nothing left. See, I... I agree. I agree with that. Because theoretically, it's not a worse loss than Old Dominion where you have a 28-3 to lead. But the impact of it is kind of Yeah, the impact greater. of this loss is... A lot worse. And it's also greater because of what the season has been so far. It's also yeah. magnified because this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't one time that you didn't come out to play. This has become a trend. This is Houston. This is Southern Miss. This is SMU. All thrown into one conglomerate of a game where you can look, where people can be like, look, that's North Texas. That is this year's team. That's what this team is. And I can't blame them. That's what they are. They're a team that has the capabilities to put up gaudy offensive numbers. They have talented offensive players. Nobody's denying that. They have talented receivers. They have talented running back. They have talented quarterback. Obviously, Rico's injury hurts. But they're inconsistent on offense. They put. They are far too... I think one thing that is not talked about enough is the fact that this team just looks like they are pressing and this team just looks like they are constantly tired of being worried like why are y'all worried it's like they look they look like they're down at the beginning of a game it does and it doesn't matter where it is home or away but it's like wow man i really hope we can win this game or i hope we don't make mistakes here or there and that's kind of been the feel of this team this whole season and then you go to the defensive side of the ball and it's like it's just been it's been atrocious. It's been atrocious. You give I I there's no other way to put it. If somebody else has a better adjective for it, please let me know. I think atrocious is the best one. Disappointing is not good enough to me. I mean, abysmal. Bruni's like he's he's getting so worked up. His hands are going in his hair. He's I don't know what's happening. He's having a seizure over here. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and you give up How many points did Southern Miss score? 48? 48. 48. 
enough. Yeah, 48 points. Matter. 33 to Middle Tennessee. Go down the list of teams. 31 to ACU. 31 to Abilene Christian, which was the first alarm, which we probably should have taken more seriously. Yeah, we, we, we mentioned it, but we were like, eh, they took off. Like, we were like, eh. <laughs> it's just like, oh, you know, it's, it happens. Yeah, like, uh, no. no. Sorry. I've been, I kind of saw this coming before the season, but I never would have thought it was going to be this bad. I, and I think everyone saw it coming, but no one thought that it was it was going to be to this extent. Yes. We always thought the team would make up for it in other ways, whether it be on the offensive side of the ball or in the secondary, which we thought was going to be good. We knew the defense was going to be worse, but we didn't know it was going to make them lose almost every game. And now this team sits here at 3-5, and 2-2 two and two in conference play, that right, UTSA and yeah. Middle Tennessee wins. Yes, two and two in conference play, and now needing to go three and one in the final four games of the season in order to secure a bowl bid. With two of those games against La Tech, who's six and one, and UAB, who's six and one, and then two other games against Rice and UTEP. And UTEP is not good, but Rice has been giving people a lot of trouble. Rice gave Southern Miss trouble. They've given ev- they yeah they give everybody trouble, and it's on the road. I Which can't wait to be sitting here at the end of the year, just looking back and going like, oh, well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, uh, but yeah, I think that's basically my recap of the game is it's, it was a, an encap, it was a great way to encapsulate this season. And I mean that in a way that does not come off as arrogant I mean that in a way that comes off as logical because I feel like that's what that game was. Like you can't look at that game in any other way besides that's what this team is. Yeah, Mason like, Mason's God and he has nothing else around him. Mason did his job, Trey Siggers did his job. The offense line was not bad. The offense did its job and like we said, like I said in the recap, like we both looked up it's the first time North Texas has lost under South the Trail, scoring more than thirty-two points. Yeah, they're now nineteen and one. Nineteen and one. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is just incredible. Thing is, though, I we didn't look at the the differential in in what the scores in all these games, but I but most of those are probably blowouts, where the other team was just shut down or not shut, only scored like twenty points, let's yeah. say, and North Texas is putting up forty or fifty or however many they had. But their defense, like we said, can't stop anybody. So they have to take that extra step. So, What's amazing, that, that stat really shocked me because yeah. even when you think about two years ago when they didn't have a defense and they were winning games, I thought one of those would definitely be a high-scoring, like 40-41 to 41 game or something like that. No, the highest-scoring game they've allowed under South Patrol in a win has been 32 points. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right, well. I don't know. Come on to the next next segment there, Bruni. What's what's next on the docket? All right, let's analyze this thing. Let's let's <laughs> let's, let's 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 Bru- shove the Bruni, knife even Bru- deeper. Bruni already looks like he's just distraught. Like he needs like a he needs he needs some like a, a gin and tonic or something. Gin and tonic. But instead, he's got a Red Bull. I got a Red Bull. One. Um, <laughs> I feel like we have to analyze this, Colin. Of course we do. That's what we're here for. <sighs> okay. Open it up. I don't even know how I want to open this up, Colin. 
So let's let's start with the defense. Oh, do you want to start with the defense? We have to start with the defense. Yeah, that sounds like a terrible idea. I don't think it's a bad idea. All right, we'll start with we'll start with All the right, defense. You, you open it up, then. We'll start with the defense. We'll move into Mason, but that doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, but anyways, defense. So to put this whole defensive season in in one in one beautiful picture picture picture, I like that. It was Chris Reynolds' last throw, where he just kind of threw it up at the line of scrimmage, and it just. Cam Johnson just didn't know where the ball was and then kind of got like half mossed for a, for a beautiful Charlotte W and Bruni and I looked at Bruni's face was just, it was his, it, I mean, he literally, his jaw was dropped. I turned around and he was just like, I can't believe this. And, and, that, the, and that's it. That's the whole season for a defense. The amazing thing is I've said it before. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of these like North Texas diehard fans. Like I couldn't imagine where, Oh, actually, I can't imagine because I'm a Cowboys fan, and you get used to that in a way. Well, I'm a so. Lions fan. So. Okay, yeah. So we've we've been there as fans before. Yeah. But I'm just, I was sitting here in awe, not because of like, not because I was I've never seen that before. Right. But because of like, it actually happened yeah. to North Texas, which we haven't seen before at this level. Like we've seen them underperform <laughs> at different. The one in eleven team is a lot. Yes, exactly. Different. Of a disappointment because you knew that that team was bad. Standard. That team had no talent on it. I mean, zero talent. This team has talent everywhere. And it just... And we'll get into why, I guess, later. But, I mean, this is probably the the worst loss probably since Portland State. Yes. Yes. Um, Okay. Let's start with the defense. Let's, let's, Let's analyze this thing. You want to start with the secondary or do you want to start up front? How do we want to... Which order do we... It doesn't matter. Let's go. Let's go secondary since that's the. Let's just let's just dive right in. Dive right in. Okay. So like we said, Chris Reynolds had a career night, just a wonderful night for his ego. I'm sure. Uh, went 24 of 32. Not good. For 336 yards. Not good. Three touchdowns and no interceptions. Not good. Um. The running back, Ben LeMay, like I mentioned, had 155 yards on 30 carries for two touchdowns, which is not good. And the leading receiver, receiver, the guy who caught the game-winning touchdown pass, Victor Tucker, had 144 yards and a touchdown on 10 receptions. Also, uh, let's, let's also note that LeMay also had a uh, a nice streak up the middle for a touchdown as well. Yep, yep, yep. All of that is not good. Now... The interesting thing about the secondary is we saw it kind of revert back to what it's done the last two games, more so against Southern Miss, in that it played they played a lot more zone. They were only bringing three a lot most of the game. Like, for the majority of the game, they were only bringing three. And it's kind of... We said it was alarming against Southern Miss, and it's also alarming now because they can't hold up in their individual matchups when they are in the zone. So when you're they're in the zone and somebody comes through the zone and it's their responsibility to pick it up or it's their responsibility to keep them in front, they're not able to make the plays to break up those passes. Instead, it feels like they're kind of just trying to get in position to... They're waiting for them to catch the ball and then gonna waiting for the tackle, basically. Yes, yes, That's what it sense. looks like. And so, I mean, they didn't give up a huge play. I'm trying to look at the... They gave up a 52-yarder that was, uh, I don't even remember which one that was. Oh, that was the slant that, that yeah. went, I think, or something like that. No, no, that was the streak uh, along the side. 
Oh, that's right. That's right. That's and then, right. yeah. They had a 34-yarder, 52-yarder, 31-yarder. So three big plays. That's not terrible, right? A 32, 34, and a 51-yarder. No. It's not terrible. So, again, they were pretty conservative. They didn't go man a ton. They went zone a lot. I still question if they're any good at zone. Again, we're not coaches, so I would we're not going to sit here and belabor you with facts because we don't have facts, but... It looked like they played zone a lot, and it looked like they weren't good in zone. That's the analyzation here. And another thing is that Taylor Robinson has just continued to struggle. Cam Johnson has continued to struggle. Nick Harvey, I thought, was okay. I thought he was fine. I don't remember him getting like no, picked I mean, apart. Just and again, no. they were in zone, so it's not like he had man responsibilities. Kyrie, I don't think, had a terrible game on the past defensive side of, on the past defense side of the ball. Um, his tackling is still up and down in a sense. I feel like he can make tackles, um, especially big tackles in the backfield or big tackles in one-on-one, but it's kind of like in responsibilities of tackling the ball carrier in a big, a big ball carrier. He needs some help in that respect. And And it's not because he's, I don't think it's because he's not capable of tackling. It's just, he's not big enough. Yeah. Yeah. He's never been a big guy. So it's tough um, for him at times. Um, We didn't, Oh my gosh, we completely forgot about the guy who probably has the worst game. Mikhail Sanders. Mikhail Sanders got got beat a good amount of times. He was on the wrong end of receptions several times. Uh, he also dropped an interception. He dropped an interception that looked pretty, I don't want to say easy, but I mean... Easiest one all year for a defensive back. Probably. Probably. Uh, easiest one that wasn't an interception, I guess. Well, there was only two interceptions all season. The Taylor Robinson one was... Yeah, but I'm saying it was, it was easiest one. I guess, yeah, that was, that was okay. incomplete. Um, but yeah, Mikhail Sanders... He struggled. I didn't. It's like just off of our eyes and just off of what we saw. It looked the same as the Southern Miss game, and it's it looked the same as Southern Miss, except the difference is Southern Miss had Quez Watkins and Jalen Adams on the outside, so their problems were really magnified. Well, it looked the same against Middle Tennessee too. It's just Middle Tennessee yeah. doesn't have as much talent. Every game has looked the same. It's just who's able to exploit it. Yeah, because as we, as we said every time, sure they've had a little bit more zone here. They've only brought three here more, whatever. They've done the same thing every game, and they've just kind of. I feel like they've just been kind of dealing with it. Yep. All right. Let me pull up the the stats. Uh, Kyrie Muhammad led the team with thirteen tackles. <laughs> That's bad. Nick Harvey at ten, and Taylor Robinson at ten. So again, secondary accounting for you have your two safeties tackles. leading in tackles, basically. Yes, again. And a lot of those are solos. Seven, seven, and eight solo tackles. It's a lot of solo tackles. Um, So, yeah, then we get to the linebackers. I thought Tyreek Davis was fine. I think he he was around a lot. He, I mean, he was he had eight tackles, five solos, uh, two tackles for loss. I think Tyreek Davis might have been the best defensive player or the most impactful defensive player, yeah. at least. Um, he was flying around. He made some good plays early on. Katie Davis. He got nicked up. Yeah, he left the game. I don't remember yeah, when he concussion. left the game. Third quarter, right? I think it was third quarter. Was that a concussion or was that the leg injury? I, I think thought. he had the leg and Oh, did he have the leg injury? Okay. Jair had the concussion. Jair the concussion, okay. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Katie left the game early. He had four tackles. Joe Zogu was good. I feel like Joe was good, too. Um, just in his kind of, again, his impact in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they were like... Wow, you know? They didn't yeah. wow anything. They didn't and and make, I don't think we can really blame... Uh, LeMay's touchdown pat or catch on him because I mean, yeah, 
yeah, j- uh, to give context to what you're saying is Ben uh, LeMay's touchdown pass that started the fourth quarter that cut it to a uh, 27-35 game mm-hmm. was on Joe Zogu. Yeah. It was Joe Zogu trailing him, and that was, again, kind of covered. A jack linebacker is not going to be as fast as a running back. Yes. It's and that then, easy. And then the safety came over the top. I don't remember who it was that tried to come over the top and help. I don't remember if it was Taylor or whoever, but they didn't get there in time, and ben, Benny ended up getting a pretty easy touchdown. Really good throw by uh, Reynolds as well, which is crazy to say. We shouldn't be complimenting Chris Reynolds. Um, so yeah, I think they all did fine. Katie, Joe, Larry Nixon played a ton. I noticed a lot. He was in the closing lineup, which obviously happened when Katie Davis went down. So Larry Nixon kind of stepped in again, retro freshman, young guy. Um, no tackles for um Kevin Wood. I don't remember if Kevin played or not. Gabriel Murphy had one tackle. Um, then we go to the defensive line and they had three sacks. I want to say how many sacks did they end up with? I feel like I only remember one, one, it was one, three tackles for loss. That's what it was. They had one sack and it was Tyreek Davis. Yeah. It was like the 15 yard sack. Yes. But again, I, it's hard to critique them because they're only bringing three. They're only bringing three. They're only bringing maybe four. They're not mixing up their blitz packages. They're not blitzing much at all. I, I wish I had the percentage in front of me of how much they were blitzing, but it's not much. Uh, I mean, Joe Zogu was in coverage a lot. Like yeah. A lot. And that should tell you something because he's the blitzing linebacker. He's the right. jack linebacker. He's the guy you're going to bring if you're going to bring a fourth guy. And he was in coverage a lot. Um, offensive line? Or did you have anything else on the defense real quickly? No, I'm I mean. i trying to think. Uh, Charlotte was 6-12 to 12 on third downs. They averaged seven and a half, seven point seven yards per play. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is this is North Texas stats. Uh, Charlotte was five of twelve on third downs. They averaged eight yards per play. Had thirty two and a half minutes time of possession, and only had three penalties. North Texas had six penalties. Not huge, I guess, but it adds up. I um, yeah, I I don't have anything else on the defense. Nor do I. It was not good. Yeah. We'll get into everything, any changes in, in a minute. But qu- quickly to go through the offense. Um, the offensive line, I felt like, was okay. I feel like they were fine. They they allowed three sacks. Mason got hit, I think, a few times. It wasn't as many as he usually does. Yes, but you're, you're right. They, he did get he did get hit still. He did. He took three sacks. He took – there were seven tackles for loss. There was uh, five pass breakups, two quarterback hits. He took some shots, and I think – allowing sacks isn't the problem on Mason. It's the consistent pressure. So it's like quarterbacks are going to take sacks, but if you can give them time on a third and seven, if you can give them time on a second and 10, if you can give them time to get those intermediate throws, then it's not as big as a problem. It's like when Chris Reynolds, I don't remember what play it was or when it was, but he had forever behind the line. He had six, seven seconds to throw the ball. And Mason's, I feel like never had that all season. Yeah, it's, um, there was a. I feel like the offensive line did did all right. I mean, Kelvin Smith left left the game at the tight end position in the second quarter, I yeah. believe. Um, Jason Pirtle played a lot. They kept the running backs in to block a lot. Um, there wasn't much else going on the protection side of the ball that I found interesting. It was just they were okay. Yep, they, they were fine. Mason I mean, was great. Yeah, and then we talk about Mason. Mason passed for 394 yards. Um, five touchdowns. Five touchdowns, no picks. 26-38 passing. There was 
again, Mason building off of what we said was his best game in Middle Tennessee, except this time it showed in the stats. Yeah. And Mason was making throws. He was very impressive. I think that there's not much more else you can say about Mason at this point. We've talked about yeah, him for the last I, three exactly. years. Mason Fine is Mason Fine. Mason Fine is the best quarterback in school history. Mason Fine is a top 15 quarterback in the country. Mason Fine checks all the boxes off. Mason Fine is getting no help. Mason Fine is the player, is the best quarterback in conference USA. I don't give a damn what Jack Abraham does at <laughs> South, exactly, Southern Miss. I don't exactly. give a damn that Jack Abraham is probably going to win conference USA play, offensive player of the year or MVP. The man has Jalen Adams and Quez Watkins behind around him. You give that to Mason Fine. And a good defense. And a great defense. And a better offensive line. I mean, Mason literally is nothing. You put any other conference USA quarterback behind, where Mason is right now, they don't throw for five touchdowns tonight. Yes. And so I think that, again, there's nothing more else to say about Mason. Mason's terrific. Yeah. Mason is a warrior. Mason deserves all the praise that we can give him. On the, I think, let's go receiver aspect, Jalen Darden and Mike Law, again, led the team in receptions, five and six. Uh, five for Darden, six for Mike Law. Both had a touchdown as well. I wrote in my preview, <laughs> it's just going to be more of the same. Yeah. Because while they have explosive-ish guys on the outside, because I'm not going to say they're explosive. Rico no. Busty and Geithner were explosive. They have explosive-ish guys Shorter's on the outside. Shorter's fast. I feel like that's... And strong. We need to see him, you know. Yeah, he needs to do more than just catch a ball because he beat somebody. He needs to come up with a, a contested there's catch. That, or, yeah, there's that spectacular catch rating in Madden. He needs that. That's what I think of. Yeah. That's what I think yeah. of. And we're not talking. I don't need to see Odell Beckham catches, but we need to see, you know, some contested. And he's, I mean, again, he's, he's done. We're not knocking him. It's he's just had that, flashes of it. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see when he gets older and when he grows to see if that spectacular catch rating goes up. Um... But again, it was the usual, more of the same. Eight eight guys who caught passes. Uh, Jair had three for 111 yards, three touchdowns, which were all good plays. We're not going to knock him for that. They were good yeah, plays. Yeah, I mean, he dragged guys to the end zone on every single yes, one of those. that was so. impressive. He's a strong dude. So he's definitely the future out wide. Um, at running back, Trey Siggers started the game, did not start the game. He came into the game in the second quarter, I believe, or somewhere yep, around second there. second quarter. And he said... Yeah, I'm fine. And then Seth Luttrell said, yeah, you're fine. Go out there. Yeah. And they were like, He looked a step slow, though. But, I mean, it didn't matter. No, he did. He did for sure. But at the that point where they, where they put him in, Lauren easily finished the game with 10 carries for 22 yards. Yep. I'm sorry. Lauren is a great guy, and he's a fine back. But Trey Siggers is what this team offense needs. Yep. So it's not, not hard to, to point that out. I think that's all we had. Special team-wise, uh, field goal get blocked is inex- inexcusable, really, because I think it was like a thirty mid-30-yarder, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, Mooney did hit a 52-yarder, which was extremely impressive. Good for him. Longest since Trevor Moore, game winner against, I forgot who, a couple of years ago, he had a 53-yarder. Well, there you go. Um, but I yeah, just remember that. Sorry. Mooney, <laughs> Mooney, was, Mooney did his job whenever it didn't get blocked. Uh Kick return, Deion Hare Griffin did his job twice. Yeah, and at the end of the game, he did his job. Yep. I mean, he put him in position to... All he had to do was get 20 yards. Yep. So, I mean, obviously, he didn't lose... They didn't lose the game at that point. I mean, they were trying to come back from already losing the game, but... Yeah. So, all right. That's our position-by-position analysis. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this thing. 
This is my favorite enough, part. Enough stuffing. Yes. Enough of the. Uh, I mean, okay. Uh, when you say meat and potatoes, is like, is that like a Thanksgiving thing? I don't know. It's or just is like that just a the, general thing. Like it means like the the meat and potatoes, like the main part. We just gave like the. So it's like corn, like not like did yeah, I just yeah, give yeah. them the corn? corn? Corn's more like a side, whereas meat and potatoes is like. Corn goes to the side of meat and potatoes. There you go. You know what I'm saying? What kind of, what kind of potatoes are we talking? I'm talking about potatoes, like meat and potatoes. Talking like... All right. It doesn't matter. All right. It really okay. doesn't matter. Sure. sure. Um, this is my favorite part of the podcast. What it all means, Bernie. Let me make sure I have these questions right real quick. Because we have uh, questions from Jared and Mean Green University here. Uh, well, first, Jared asked, why can't our defense stop anyone? And I feel like we touched on that pretty pretty good. But I think to answer the general question, is it... All right, let's, let's, let's assign okay, blame. Okay, okay, let's okay. assign blame. Exa- that's what I was, was, was going to say. Percentage, Colin. Is it, is it percentage so players, percentage, percentage between record. talent on the field or record. the coaching? I'm going to say it's going to be 70-30. To what? Coaching. Oh, shit, that's high. That's high. Why am I wrong if you think I'm wrong? That's high. Why am I wrong? Why is it high? That's high. Why? I think it's I think it's gotta be fifty fifty. No way. It has to be fifty. It can't be fifty fifty. It has to be fifty. It can't be fifty. And also So okay, here's the complex we face right now. Because last year this defense worked. Right? We've admitted that they've made changes, right? They've gone more zone in the past few yeah. in the past few games. And I think that that is a product of them knowing that man isn't going to work and, you know, bringing down people to stop the run isn't going to work. Because early in the season, stopping the run was their main emphasis. Now it's don't get beat behind. All right? The emphasis has changed from week one to week eight. Mm-hmm. The tough thing for me to assign is blame because it worked last year it only worked because they had linebackers they had pressure on the quarterback they can't do that this year we already talked about we talked about last week how Tyreek isn't able to be like EJ so is that 30% is that the 30% is 30% the linebackers I don't know because are we I saying the I secondary is no, no, worse no no, no 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 I think the 30% is the missed tackle here and there or the when we're sitting there we're like oh Tyreek's got to get that tackle in the backfield and they he, they get like a five yard gain or something like that the coaching the seven, I give him 70% because as we've said they're waiting for guys to catch the ball and then tackle them I feel like there is no point unless it's a pass interference that they're actually breaking up a pass or blowing up a play because it, we have we don't see it happen and you can't tell me that this the talent on this defense is worse than Charlotte's or worse than Middle Tennessee's or worse than Southern Misses by by a whole lot to where they're just giving up, you know, this many points this season. We 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 go through it. Nick Harvey, he, North Texas was not his only offer. He played in the SEC. He knows what he's doing. He's talented. Cam Johnson, he's been in this system. He knows what he's doing. He's not a ridiculous drop off from Kimon Hall and Nate Brooks. Kyrie Muhammad has been great the last two years. He's okay this year. Taylor Robinson, same. He's been in this system, been good for the last couple of years, and then now it's just everything's dropped off. You can't blame the linebackers because you're never always going to have great players at linebacker. You're never always going to have great players at certain positions, and I feel like you can't blame the players for that. It's the system that they're in and the game plan that they're getting, I feel like, more so. I... 
I, I think if you throw Nick Harvey on Southern Miss, he starts at corner and he has way better stats this year and makes way more of an impact this year. Like that that's yeah. what I'm saying. No, I'm not denying that the the So okay, let, let's get into this too real quick. Uh Main Green University among hundreds of Everybody. thousands under other people want head or want defensive coordinator Troy Reffitt gone. So when I came on this podcast a few weeks ago and I said, all right, well, when you fire Refit or whatever, you just bring in or you, you just promote, basically. You promote right. Clay Jennings or you promote whoever as a defensive coordinator. At this point, it's hard to disagree with them because I understand Troy Refit is a much admired figure amongst the defense amongst the defensive players. I understand that he is a respected figure amongst them. I understand all of that, but at a certain point if it's not working and it's not hitting the same is there a is there a certain point where you just stop banging your head against the wall? Is there a certain point where you just stop trying the same thing over and over and I'll give them credit because I feel like they've tried something different this year I feel like they've adjusted in a way once after the first five games where it didn't work they said all right let's try something else but that didn't work either firing Troy Reffitt at this point does not the defense can't get worse it doesn't win them more games though it saves face I think that that's what it does so let's let's continue let's continue to evolve this conversation because on the surface, firing co- coach Troy Reffitt means that you get a new voice in there. You get a new voice from anybody in there, talking to your player, talking to the players, getting them hyped up, getting them on the same page. This and that. The position coach coaches are still in place. Obviously, Reffitt is a safeties coach, so somebody would have to do that. Whatever. But again, you have Kyrie and Taylor Robinson back there who have been there for years. They're not novices. So, let's go a step deeper here. Will Seth Luttrell move on from Refit to save face? I feel like they, he has to because his head right now is starting to get called on the chopping block. It's not just Refit at this point. Okay, but it's not about fans. I know it's not about fans. So, let's... so I, I know it's not about fans, but... Narrative gets in from the outside, no matter what players say. If people are saying... These guys suck. These guys are awful. They're going to hear that and it's going to affect their play. They need, like you said, if the grass is greener, they need that new voice. They might play harder. It's a subconscious thing, whether they like to believe it or not, or conscious thing, depending. I mean, we don't know yes. what the locker room's like. But yes. if you get rid of Refit and Clay Jennings gets promoted or whoever, that gives them a chance to just be like, okay, we'll try this. And then it's like it's like a placebo pill where they're just, oh, oh yeah, we're amazingly better. And then results can be better. They could be worse. But I feel like at this point, you just have to do it to save face, to be like, okay, we tried something, we did we did what, what was needed, and then we'll move on. But here's the thing. I, I'm not even talking about from a player's perspective at this point. I feel like from a Seth Luttrell perspective, this is far more interesting. And this is, okay, this is a really grand thing that I feel like we're saying here. I, I, again, I don't feel good calling for people's jobs. That's one thing I don't feel good doing. So I don't like coming on here and being like, they have to fire this guy. But they I don't, do I don't think the thing with us is we're not doing it out of passion for a team. We're doing it out of, are you doing a good job at your job? Yes. It's, it's, it's different. No, I, I understand. I understand. But again, I just like prefacing it with that. So, but from, from Latrell's perspective, 
he goes from last year theoretically having positions at openings at Power 5 schools. He goes from that to go back to North Texas, gets a huge pay raise, um, gets all the money in the world, gets this and that, and for this team to, let's say, go 6-6 six and six this year, while they are 3-5 and five at the moment, I feel like you have to make a change because on the off chance that that change works, you can point to something else. You can point to someone else, and it's very cynical, but you can point to something else and be like, that was the problem. The offense wasn't the problem. So what Seth Luttrell is going to be able to say is, the offense is putting up 40 points a game. We have Mason Fine is putting up numbers, great numbers. Trey Sigurds is doing great things. Our receivers are doing great. We didn't even have Rico Bussey, this and that and this. The defense is costing us games. That's going to be the message. That's going to be the selling yeah. point in a way because yeah. if you're Seth Luttrell, you can't take the hit of getting paid $1.9 million and leaving this season with a five and seven record, you can't. I. It would be. It's a very cynical thing to say, but you have to try to distribute the blame in some way. Whether that's because of injuries, whether that's because of a hard schedule, whether that's because of defense, whether that's because of the defensive coordinator, I don't know. But there has to be some sort of blame pushed pushed away from him. Right. It's 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 like when the Cowboys fire like an offensive line coach like they did last year when they yes. got rid of Scott Lenahan it's just like oh yeah we'll do this nothing might change but on the off chance that it does and then Jason Garrett continues to be the head coach and, right, exactly. and things continue exactly. in the way that they've been now and it's and it's a kind of a cycle in, with with coaches like that and that you wait for it to get better but it never really does so the blame keeps being pushed aside. The blame keeps being pushed to the defense. The blame keeps being pushed to, what for the Cowboys, let's say an aging Tony Romo or something like that. Now it's at a North Texas level, I feel like that's what we're going to see in the coming weeks. Even if Refit isn't fired, I think we see, I think we see some sort of change in the public that is made public, whether that is... Co-defensive coordinator. Co-defensive coordinators or anything like that or somebody else saying that, yeah, we've changed this, you know, or somebody just or saying... Or someone's calling different the plays different. I mean, who... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, something along those lines. And so that's the first thing. Or you get people starting to say like, you know, we, we got off to a really bad start this year. The schedule really beat us up and we weren't able to rebound. Something mentally that, you know, whether it's players taking accountability, all this accountability, set the trail, I feel like, I don't know if he's going to fire Refit, but I completely understand him firing Refit. Do you and think he should? Not only because of the performance, but because you have to kind of push away blame from yourself. Because if you don't fire Refit, then it looks like, to a certain degree, then it looks like this staff is what I want and it's not working. Yeah. Then you don't have a ton of other places to point the finger. Now, you asked me, do you think he should fire him? Yes. I still think it's tough. I still think it's tough because I don't know how much you're going to fix and how much you're going to change in the well, next four But like weeks. you said, how much are you going to lose? I think you have to make a bowl game. If you don't make a bowl no, game... No, no, I'm saying if you fire Refit, how much do you lose? Like, you're only, you can only go up. Can you? You just lost to Charlotte, thirty nine to thirty eight. You can go. You can't get worse. You have to go. You have to go three and one in these last game, three game, four games to make a bowl game. Of course you do. But I'm saying, with or without Refit, everyone thinks that this team is not going to go three and one. So, 
what do you lose getting rid of him? I agree. Again, I completely understand. Yeah. I completely understand Latrell and Baker or whoever moving on from Refit. He's been here for three full seasons now. We've tried him. He hasn't worked besides the one season where he had NFL corners and NFL linebacker and Ladarius and all this and that and everything breaking right, including an easy schedule in the non-conference. But I don't know if they will. So I don't know if they will do that. But again, I understand. I think that they, I think that they could, and I could make an argument that they should because Seth Luttrell is getting paid damn near $2 million. If you are an athletic director paying your coach $2 million, you have to justify that in a way. And he is getting all this flack from people. He's getting flack from all angles. He's getting, while he's not getting that national flack, it's still going to be seen. He's going to be resume. feeling the pressure from the donors, from the yes, from the fan. I mean, from the ticket sales and everything. And and again, while it's cynical to say you have to be able to push blame on something else and be like, oh yeah, but we just had a tough schedule, or oh yeah, we just had a bad defense, and he's an offensive coach. I think that's the easiest thing to do. Yep. So, um, it's a very interesting. It's a very interesting point that this team is at. It's a very interesting predicament that they are in at this point because it's not the first time and it it's not the first time at all uh, and it probably won't be the last it's not the first time Refit's head has been on the chopping block but the difference was the last time it was or the last time you know before the season that it was it was after the Troy game mm-hmm. in 2017 it's been a long time since then and this is the hottest the coal has ever been so we'll see what they do um, let's panic meter, Colin. There's no more questions. Oh, we have questions. I'm saving them for the end. Let's oh, okay. 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 We have a lot more questions. Uh, let's panic meter real quick. Uh, last week to recap, we were both at an eight. Yes. Bernie had a small glimmer of hope. I was, I stayed at an eight because the week before I was also at an eight, but the week before Colin was at a nine and a half, which was an all time record here on the Bernie's Breakdown podcast. Colin, I will let you start us off here. Um, because I feel like you have something interesting to say. Uh, so go go ahead. Where is your panic meter at? Well, let's just let's just get this out of the way. The season's over, and by the panic meter standards, that's a ten out of ten, baby. But I'm taking this a step further, and it's the the mercury in the thermometer or whatever you want to call this has broken, and the glass is broken, and and the whatever you're, whatever you're using to measure the meter is currently past where it's supposed to be. It's been an absolute disaster. This is literally the worst this season could have gone. I mean, I couldn't think of a worse season unless Mason's injured. I really literally could not think of a worse version of this season. And watching this game was so... I I, I can I could relate to it a lot because Mason threw for five touchdowns. He played great. We already went over his stats. He played great. He has some talent around him. Great. But the team has never been able to put down a... And that whether that's coaching or whatever has never been able to put around a full product for him to work with to to win a conference championship. I saw a tweet. Uh, it said that Mason has never won. It's interesting that Mason has never won anything team wise. So you know he's never won a conference championship. He's never won a bowl game. He's never you know those things. He's won plenty of individual awards. He has plenty of stats and whatever to back that up. But in the end, it comes for the team. And I relate to that because I'm a Lions fan. Matt Stafford, fastest to forty thousand yards. You get he gets docked so much because he's on the Lions. 
when really he's you know a really good quarterback. And this year he's carried the, carried the Lions. There's no defense. They're the worst defense in the NFL. This is the worst defense in Conference USA. It seems they have talented receivers and two guys, Kevin Galladay and Marvin Jones. These guys have Mason has two talented receivers. Stafford has no running game, no offensive line. Mason the same way. He's still putting up stats, but they're not able to do anything. And it's so sad to see because this is not only going to affect the team, which we said was one of the goals this season for a conference championship, but it also affects Mason's outlook after college football. And you can see that in the NFL for Stafford where he's no longer respected by other execs or the media. And that's only going to carry over to Mason when he's at his pro day, when he's if he's invited to the combine and there's no longer a six for Heisman. I mean, we're saying today, I mean, you and I, we both know that Mason's great, but to the ESPN guy in Connecticut, he has no idea about Mason. He's going to look at Jack Abraham and go, why isn't, why wasn't Mason offensive player of the year? He's obviously not a quarterback. That's good. Yep. So it's, it hurts me. So yes, panic leader 10. Our first 10 here on the Bernie's breakdown podcast. We can't go lower. There's, there's no way to go lower. I'm. Uh, you cannot. Okay, okay, no, no, no. Here, let's listen. Okay, let's, let's I was listen. about to have to stand up with, like, I was moving my mic listen, up. Listen, listen. I'm gonna go to. No. I'm gonna go to a ten. Okay. But I'm not gonna have the, the the damn mercury leaking all over the place. I'm not gonna light the light the house on fire right now. Why? Unless if they lose another game. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, if they don't make a bowl game. So if they oh. lose. So well, first if they lose to UTEP, then we can set everything on fire. But um, if they just don't make a bowl game, let's say they have a, if they're five and six and they play UAB and they lose, then we can set the house on fire. Okay, is that all right? The house is on fire for me because nothing. <laughs> you make a bowl game, why does it matter? You're gonna lose it anyways. Because if they if they win a bowl game, they're not gonna win a bowl game. And here's game. another reason why it's a ten, because we said we prefaced it before the season is kind of jokingly in a way. We said it's only a ten if we start firing people and the season's over. Well, the season's over and people are. Might get fired. So it's at a 10. It's at a 10. I can understand maybe a nine and a half argument because you no, know, it's not quite no, over There's no yet. nine and a half argument. But let's get to a 10 here and let's round up because at this point in the year, they need to go three and one to make a bowl game. Three and one to make a bowl game. Like, think about that. Think about that for a second. Like, we thought they would be three and one after four games in the season. Could possibly three and one. Sure, sure. I mean, I'm talking about like SMU and Houston. And no, them. I know, but they had the first four games were Abilene Christian, SMU, Cal, and UTSA, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I guess, I guess, so it was okay. like, yeah, oh, against Cal, they could have won, UTSA, yeah, they could have won. They could yeah. be three and one. No, but entering the season, I'm saying, right, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I predicted them to go 10 and two. <laughs> Look how far the apple has fallen from the tree. Nine to three. And uh, it's just subconsciously before the season, I was like, Am I really going to get to witness like a, a conference championship? Am I really going to get to witness this team like beat like some of yeah. the big boys? Are we like, going to are we going to see Mason in New York? Are we going to see some somebody actually get drafted from North Texas? I mean, there was North Texas is the is the does the long I don't know. Yes, yeah, I got you. Yeah, North Le- North Texas has the longest drought of any team in the FBS of play of not having a player drafted. Yes. Charlotte's had a guy drafted. Everybody's had a guy. Everybody. Literally everybody. UMass, who's the worst team in FBS, has had players drafted. I think the last one was 2004? 5? 3? It was probably... It was Jamario... Uh, 
It was the running back. I don't know who it is. Jamario Thomas. I don't know if it. Will, I don't know who that was. Um, but regardless, it's just gone downhill in ways that were kind of predictable, but not in the catastrophic fashion that we that that is happening. That has happened. I if you would have told me before the season they were losing to Charlotte, I would laugh in their I, face. I would have I would have laughed very hard. But if you would have told me like they would have lost to Houston, SMU, Cal, then like okay, Southern Miss, okay, cool, like. Four and four going into the last half of the season didn't seem like it was unfathomable. But they're not even at four and four. They're at three and five. And now this team is holding on for dear life, hoping that they can make a bowl game. That's all they have to play for. With Mason Fine at your quarterback. It's just, it's just, the scarecrow is in ashes. The haze flying everywhere. Everything is just gone. And now we sit here at tens on our panic meter, Colin. That's amazing. It's it's quite amazing. I never thought we'd get to this point. We started the season at like threes. How does that feel? Awful. I feel awful. Yeah. Um, so do you want to get into the questions? Yes. I do want to preface the questions. Um, we did get a couple recruiting questions and like commit questions and like here or there. We I don't want to. We're not going to talk about recruits or commits that much on this podcast. We're just not. Yeah, we don't want to speculate. Yeah. So stuff. Yeah, we're not going to talk commits or recruits or much like that. Much stuff like that on this podcast. If you want to talk to me or Gabe about a uh, commit or about you know future of a commit or something, go on our board on MeanGreen247.com. Just click the little board tab. You can. If you don't have an account, just make one. You can make one for free or you can become a subscriber, VIP. Um, and you can post on there and ask us your VIP questions. and Or ask us your... Uh, yeah, it's free com- to post on the board. Yes, ask us your commit questions, I should say. And we'll answer them more there. This this podcast is basically strictly for uh, the teams on the field. Yeah. So, all right. We have a lot of questions. Uh, I have six, roughly. That's a lot. So, thank you all for your questions. Real quick, first, let's talk about. I want to figure out how 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 I want to arrange this. We have fine in the NFL. We have changes. We have moving forward. Fourth down runs. That's where we're starting. All right, Jeff asked about the fourth down runs. Klein, the the only fourth down run that happened. There was one, and it was the first possession of the game. It was the first yep. drive of the game. Now, um. I think a fun anecdote will be I asked Coach Latrell about them sustaining drives more so um, on Tuesday. I asked him about sustaining drives and, you know, not falling behind the chains and this and that because that's been such a big emphasis for them over the past few weeks. Now, he explained it very thoroughly. He gives good answers when you ask him about football. And then he got to the point where kind of unprompted, he was like, that fourth down call against Middle Tennessee where they ran in on a fourth and two, like straight up the middle and they got stuffed. He said, that was on me. He said, I didn't make the right call there. I had other plays and I didn't I didn't make the right call. That's it. Yep. Today, in the first quarter, they go down. I think they're at the, the 40 of Charlotte, somewhere around there. Let's say around midfield. Around midfield. There, it's fourth and one. I'm like, all right, go for it. I, I'm not, I have no problem with you going for it. They line up. They look confused. They call timeout. 
They come out, line up his shotgun, run. I think it was a little misdirection play, like a little this and that, and just hand it off to, I think it was Lauren up the middle. Gets nothing. Turnover on downs, going the other way. It has to make fans rip their eyes out of their Very furious. Like, it has to just be the most frustrating thing. And the thing is, we saw Charlotte also on their first fourth down, the next the next uh, possession, do the same thing and didn't get anything. But then late in the game on fourth down, it's a simple yeah, they do a play handoff action. and yep. a little dump off to a fullback or dump off to the running back or dump off to a tight end in the flat. There, I've never seen that. I've seen them roll out. I've seen Mason roll out and try to throw it to fit it in there for a yeah. tight end or something like that. But there are so many options you have when it's fourth and one. QB sneak, which we thought they were going to do. They haven't done a QB sneak. But they lined up looking. We were like, oh, they're going to do QB sneak. Then they called the timeout. The, any kind of play action, a bootleg, any, literally anything. Anything. Anything at all. And it's just, I mean, this is back to last year. It's it just does. Run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle. And it was funny because Seth said a couple games ago, I don't remember which game it was, that they should be able to get a yard no matter what. If he yeah. calls if he calls a run, you need to be able to get a yard. Well, yeah, but you're not getting the yard. You haven't been getting the yard. So you need to change something. And it's funny to me when he says that he's it's on him about this, this one yeah. uh, against Middle Tennessee, and he does it again. Yeah, there's not there's nothing else to say about that. It was a very telling moment, and in a game that was decided by one point, they could have won you the game in the end. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the fourth down runs are very interesting. I just, just please, just try anything else. Just try anything else. Mason fine completed twenty eight of his thirty six passes. I wouldn't, and I hate Mason running. If I saw Mason do a QB draw <laughs> right there, it's better than. Running up the middle like you have every time. Here's a question: Can we get a Jason Bean set option? I would love a Read Jason Bean set or a triple option with Jason Bean. You know what would be the best? Mason played receiver in high school. Have Jason Bean line up at quarterback. A wildcat or something like that. Exactly. Can we get a little creative right here? Seth Latrell is supposed to be one of the greatest offensive minds in the country. No hyperbole. Yeah, he was. He's been penned that. <laughs> and yet, there the creativity just is lacking. The creativity yeah. seems to hinge on can Jalen Darden beat his man one on one. Yeah, the creativity seems I, to hinge and, on and this isn't Trey just Siggers. and this isn't just for fourth and ones. I mean, I feel like it's when you watch the whole game. It's either you see a, a post or a fade, or you see an out route, and yeah. the occasional screen. I mean, and screen passes galore all yeah. the time. There's never, you know, anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really. And when you watch, I watched Oklahoma a little bit today, and I think it was the third or fourth possession of the game, they ran a double reverse pass that went to down to the one-yard line of Kansas State. I've never seen a double reverse pass from North Texas. And I don't even want to just see that. I, just, I, I don't... Want, I, don't, I, don't exactly. I, want, I want to see curls. I want to see more slants. I want to see... I mean, any Drag routes. A drag route. Give me a drag route. I've just never seen a drag route. Some type of... Yeah, whether it's in the pass game or it's misdirection in the run game more so. Anything. Uh, there's just a lot that I feel like we haven't seen. I feel like it's a very simplistic way to go about a game at this point with a lot. And 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 the receivers, yes, they've been they've been great. T- today they were great, but I feel like it's more of a product of Mason throwing them open than it was them being open. I mean, Jair Shorter was open on three of those plays, but that's Mason open. That's not Jack Abraham open. That's not whoever open. Yeah, exactly. It's and then Jalen Darden on all those out routes that he got. That's Mason open for most of those. 
And, I mean, you throw any other quarterback back there, you you probably aren't scoring 20 points tonight. It's true. Uh, okay. Uh, Greg asks, he sends a long question asking about changes. Um, again, we talked about the DC and OC already. Um, we didn't talk about offensive coordinator. Yeah, we didn't t- we didn't talk about Bodie, but I don't think I don't think Bodie's the issue. I think Latrell is more to blame on offense than than anything, but I don't think offense was bad this game. Thirty eight no, points so is either. not bad. So, um, what changes do you would you make now and after the season is over? So now, okay. So what changes will we would, would we make now? And we kind of talked about this last week and the week before in a sense. Like, would you make changes schematically? Or would you cha- make changes in personnel? I um I don't want to belabor this. I don't want to talk too much in depth about this because we talked about this before. But um again, I think after the season, even if Latrell stays, you have to get out of the three three five defense. Just try something different. Just try a three four. Just try a four three. Try anything, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because the three three five just has not worked. Your past defense hasn't been better because you have a fifth cornerback on or a fifth defensive back on the field. Um. So yeah, maybe just change up something maybe figure it out just look at what worked what didn't not a lot worked so schematically i think there will be changes whether refit is here or not and personnel wise i don't think there's much you can do at this point i would like to see actually i would like to see i don't think quinn whitlock played much i would like to see quinn play some i would like to see joshua and gaddy play some i'm i think nick harvey stays out there i need to see something different with with cam see cam had his worst game of the season yeah, but I mean, like throughout, like I, I just think Nick, Nick's I, your best option. Can we put Deshaun Gaddy at, at nickel corner? I feel like he's too. I don't know if that's possible. I feel like he's too big for that. Like yeah, I don't. I'm, that's not a, like just laterally. Like I mean, you need like a, a guy. I mean, he's like what six one. He's tall. Yeah, he's, he's a tall. Like six, he's six, a tall dude. Like you need like a five nine guy that can keep up with. No, nah, well, Mikhail's not five nine. I'm saying like around that five nine five ten whatever. Okay. Like a shorter guy who's who's more laterally quick than he is. It's interesting. Yeah. I just want to see Deshaun Gaddy and Quinn Whitlock. Deshaun, Deshaun Gaddy, safety? <laughs> Anything. <laughs> Anything? Anything. Um, we talked about moving Mikhail Sanders back, maybe. Yeah. We talked about Jamil Moore playing. But we talked about We talked about a lot. Yeah, there's, I mean, I don't there, know. There's what not else a whole lot you can about. do personnel wise because this isn't the NFL where you can make trades. You have what you have. This is the team. There you go. Um, only thing you can look at now is what you can change really for next year. And. For personnel wise, and I mean, really, I mean, that's that's. I feel like that's a later thing we need to talk about. I have a question. Yeah, Ladarius Hamilton had one tackle tonight. Ladarius has been. I don't blame him because I I don't blame anybody on the defense line because they're not bringing pressure and they're not you know putting emphasis on getting to the quarterback. In a which sense, which is a mistake, but to each its own, I guess, because we've seen them try to get to the quarterback and fail early in the season, and it's burnt them. So they kind of just went the opposite direction from that. Ladarius Hamilton having one, one tackle is kind of crazy. And I feel like as a coach, you have to find a way to get him at He's least your best defensive player. something. Yeah. Like you have to get him on a twist. You have to get him off of a double team. You have to bring extra help or bring another man his side. Maybe put him on the other side. Maybe move him around. Maybe move him to the jack position and bring him off the jack position. Do Do something. Yeah. He is too good to have one tackle. It's also worth noting that Safi uh, broke his foot in warmups, so we didn't talk about that. That happened too. Um, I do want to say that I think changes are easier to make now 
than they were because they did lose. Because um, now, I mean, so really, outside of a bowl, there's nothing to play for. So if you're going to try something, try it now. And it. and th- I feel like they'll be looser. I mean, I, t- I told you before the game, I said, I'd much rather have them lose today than keep having games like this where they have to come back with 18 seconds yeah, left. Yeah, where it's like rough, yeah. like like barely pulling out a win. Like, MTS, like Middle Tennessee, like... Yeah, they won. It was great that they won, but if games are going to be like that every single week, it's win. just yeah, it's not worth winning. I'd much rather have them lose and just accept the team for what it is instead of being held on that little string of hope. Um, but do you think? I want to ask you this: Mason's gone after next year, obviously. Do you think that this team has a possibility to kind of stay competitive in this in this in Conference USA right now? Because again, as a Lions <laughs> fan. Everything to me runs. I mean, everything's organizational, top down. It's not yeah. like I think Ren's great. Ren's done great things, but obviously we're gonna go from coaching down. What do you think they can do, whether that's schematically, coaching wise, and the players that we that we have that they have now, to where they can stay competitive next year? Because obviously, what they're doing now is not going to be sustainable with Mason having to carry the team in every facet. Hundred percent. Uh I saw people kind of <clears throat> speculate, like you know. Well, once the panic set in, then it was like, <laughs> then it was like, oh my gosh, can we just like go get like twenty JUCO guys and do what SMU did basically? And we've talked about it on here before why that's not you know feasible. Really. This game ruined most of that chance from happening. No, yeah, it's it's really tough to to do that. So I don't know how feasible that is. Um, but it's going to be t- difficult next year, especially for people. I don't think I'm telling anybody something they didn't know, but if you didn't know. Mason Fine is a senior. He's going to be gone. And then there are 24 other seniors on this team that are going to be gone. And that includes Rico Bussey, who we don't know the status of. We don't know what he's going to do. But I, again, don't expect him to be back. Right. I don't he know he could redshirt, but... I don't know anything. There's no reason for him to be back in our eyes. I don't know anything, but he could graduate transfer or go to the draft. Um, it's going to be a tough year next year. I avoided saying this for the last two or three weeks, but... Guys, like, there's not going to be a safety net called Mason Fine. You're going to have Trey Siggers. You're going to have Jalen Darden. You're going to have to really change stuff, stuff schematically to fit your personnel because, I first of all, I think they might bring in someone for at quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised at all because it's going to be real tough to start a retro sophomore. Or Austin, who hasn't played football. Well, Austin is a retro sophomore. Well, I'm saying, like, he, but he's 28. Year. I mean, Yes, but he's a retro sophomore. In terms of college football. And it's just going to be tough to bring in one of those guys and ask them to be Mason Fine. Or even be like three-fourths of Mason Fine. Like yeah. be a be a middle of the tier, middle of the pack quarterback in Conference USA. So I just, it's going to be really tough. And the defense is going to have to take massive steps forward. And they're losing a lot of players, which maybe, maybe that's a good thing. I don't think it is. I well, don't maybe think it it's a good thing. It could be a good thing. Who knows? But... You're losing a lot of personnel next year. You're probably going to be... We don't know what coaches... Like, they had a lot of coaching changes over the last offseason. Maybe they have a couple more coaching changes because people move on to bigger, better things. Because, again, North Texas is a stepping stone for coaches. We will say this time after time after time. That any group of five school, whether you are UCF or you are UMass... Well, UMass isn't group of five. They're independent. But you get what I'm saying. UCF lost Scott Frost to Nebraska. That's just what happens. Yeah. And at every position, coach, you're going to see that. Joel Flaney, 
going back to Texas Tech, it happens. So you're going to have coaching changes. You're going to have personnel changes, but you're not going to have Mason Fine next year. And you're going to have to change up a lot of stuff, whether that's schematically or just personnel-wise. You're going to have to bring in people. I hope that they bring in people. I know that they've been offering people JUCO-wise, but who knows what really comes in. I think uh, I think everyone knows that it's a stepping stone school, but I feel like people wanted North Texas with their tenure, with Mason Fine's tenure to bring them to that level of UCF or Memphis or yes. something like that. And this is just random, but earlier I, I showed you the 2002 Conference USA teams. Yeah. And that has like Marquette, Memphis, Louisville, DePaul. And obviously some of those are basketball schools, others are yeah. football schools. But I think they wanted to see it to where they didn't have to, they fans didn't have to sit here and be like, oh, we're going to be stuck in Conference USA forever. Or we're going to be in like a conference, like the Sun Belt or something forever. That they'd have a chance to do something. And I feel like Fans are gonna feel like this is their only, this is their only chance, and I don't know if there's a whole lot they can do in the future. Well, the thing is, you still have hope because, well, I'm not, I at least you have hope in the future because that is a possibility at some point to win Conference USA. Of, they well, still have, of course, won. it is, but. Like you just have to. You your, have to goal, your goal, your goal, your goal was with Mason was to raise the perception of UNT. Yes. From being a one eleven school that's been awful since the early two thousands, to being the next, the next big, the next Houston, which yes. is also in Conference USA, the next UCF, the next Memphis, which is in Conference USA, Boise State, Boise State, exactly. And I feel like that 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 has kind of died. Yeah, they they could win Conference USA. Yeah, they could be Middle Tennessee from last year, but is that all they're ever going to be? And I feel like that's kind of a, that's kind of what this season is hinged on, and I feel like tonight's loss kind of ruined any hope for the future. And that's why we we have so many people going, "Hey, is it what? What can they do next year to make it a competitive team?" Yeah, and uh, I completely under, understand the frustration of fans. I I do, um, but it's gonna be a tough pill to swallow. And that's I think we covered moving forward pretty good. That was a question from Matt. So thank you for your question. Um, All right, real quickly. So Seth Luttrell, Greg also asked. Seth Luttrell went obviously five and eight, the nine and four, the nine and nine or nine and five, the nine and four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, in his first three years, is this year the outlier, or are the past two years the outlier? I feel like the past two years. I feel like everything is. He's an offensive coach. We've gotten that out of the way. Okay. His offense has been consistent every single year. I think the defense the last two years has been the outlier. And that is because of the talent that they've had. What do you mean? The last two defenses so, were so, very So, Nathan's sophomore year, they were god-awful, obviously. The, yes. the offense carried them throughout games. But they had more talent than this roster has had. Last year, they had more talent than this roster's had. Um, Mason's freshman year, they had more talent than this roster's had. Like, you have you had Kamon Hall and Nate Brooks, who last year's defense still gave up, what, 29 24. points? 24 points a game? Okay, well, the year before, they gave up... 37. 37. 36, yeah. But they are NFL caliber. They got practice yes. team stuff. These guys right now aren't going to probably be there. And I feel like that's kind of masked the issues with this defense. Eckler came in with Refit, uh, Seth's first year. Eckler, you know, called a godsend because they didn't weren't giving up 45 points a game. And then it just they just kind of built on with that talent that they had that just kind of gradually built up. And I feel like it masked a lot of things. Last year... They still gave up big plays, 
but you had EJG and Brandon Garner to make up for that. The year before that, you had the secondary and Nate Brooks to make up for that. And I feel like it's just been masked this whole time. It's never really been solved. So I don't really know if it's... I think the offense has been consistent, and I think the last two years of defense have been the outlier. What we've talked about before is the South Dakota's first two recruiting classes um, were not highly rated at all. They were like... Yeah. Well, the ones the, before that weren't highly rated at all. No, of course, yeah. So yeah. you're just building off that. Yeah. It's the last two recruiting classes that have been special. Yeah, which right? haven't gotten a chance to get to where... Yes, we've seen Kevin Wood and, and Deshaun Gaddy and all of them. But that's kind of... That's Seth's impact on defense, is his recruiting. Right. In the so, end, it's it's Refit's job to prepare those players. And I keep reiterating this in every segment. I feel like the talent's there... It's 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 the coaching, and obviously I don't know what it is, but there's the talent's there. I feel I feel like we all know that. So did you answer the question of which is the outlier? I yeah the, the you offense. Said, you is said not, last year's defense was the outlier. I said two, the last two years of defense has been the outlier. Okay. Okay. I feel like okay. I feel so like wait, s- you mean not this year, but the last two years. last two years? Yes. So 2017 and 2018. Yes. Okay. Okay. And he, although they were awful, Mason's sophomore year, I, you know, the the, the portion that they went down from the forty five to thirty seven, <gasps> yeah, again an outlier. Yeah. This is tough. Uh, do I think this year was the outlier? Or the last two years were the outlier. And it kind of goes hand in hand with people asking, like, has Mason kind of carried Latrell? In we haven't sense. even asked that question. I know, but it kind of goes hand in hand in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like because the Mason has been able to be be this consistent force mm-hmm. over the past three seasons. He's been able to consistently put the offense in position to win games, and he's been put the offense in position to make plays consistently. But would that be the case if somebody else was the quarterback? I think that if you had Jack Abraham oh, at quarterback, um, I don't know how much to divvy that up. So I feel like I feel like last year more than anything was the outlier performance because last year you had the defense that carried the offense, and that's not good. Because well, for for an offensive head coach, that's not good. How do you mean outlier? Because last year I feel like the defense was. Are you saying the team overperformed last year? Yes, because the offense was not good. But the offense wasn't awful. No, no, no. But the offense was extremely inconsistent. Yeah, like no, I, I agree was, with that. I agree with that. And if that defense didn't play at the level that they played at for the entire year, we're, we're talking about a 6-16. Six and 16. We're talking about a 7-5 team. Yeah. We're not talking about a 9-1 team. The defense, we, we said multiple times, the defense has carried that team last year at times. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I feel like that's kind of the exception. And that's kind of the outlier because even though they had the same record as the sophomore year, for an offensive head coach, his offense wasn't consistent last year. And his offense is not consistent this year, really. I agree. I agree. So I'm putting last year's as the outlier because I feel like this year and his sophomore year, I feel like you – I'm judging him off of his offense's production. Okay. I, see, I know what you're saying. Right? Yeah. So I feel and, like last year's offense was not at the level that it needed to be at. So I feel like he's a good offensive coach. So that's what I'm saying, basically. He's a good offensive coach. The standard for him is what his sophomore year offense did and what or what what Mason's sophomore year offense did and what this year's offense kind of does. They've played good teams, though, so it's hard to, you know. I don't think that matters. To do that. 
to uh to analyze them at a proper a proper rate compared to last year where they played nobody. But I feel like last year the offense was not good, so I feel like that's the outlier. But they still won games and won nine because of their defense. So I don't know. It's a very complex question. I feel like it's a very interesting question because you have to like go different routes to the thing. The thing is, it. is in the end he was still coached by Seth Luttrell. Like in the end, Mason from high school was still brought along by Seth Graham as well, but yes. he was still brought along by Seth, and that goes hand in hand. It's not not only what they do on the field, but it also goes into the, how they recruit, how they coach those guys off the field. So I don't want to say that Mason's been carrying him because in the end, Mason is a product of Seth. Yeah. So, I mean, you. Can, I feel like that that is a good argument, but I feel like you can only go so far with that. You can't, like, the argument is if Seth had Jack Abraham, well, he doesn't have Jack Abraham. He is Mason fine. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think that's a good argument. Okay. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Now I do have another question. Okay, go ahead. So a couple weeks ago, I said that did we? You asked, did we overhype this team? And I said no because the talent on the individual level, like on individual players, yes. is high. Did we overhype the players? Because that just kind of made me think of that. Like, did we over did we overhype Rico as a really good receiver? Just- so you've already said that you put the blame on the coaches, and that backs up what you said a couple weeks ago when you said, "Yeah, yeah." But but you saying that about the question about Seth and Mason and whatever. Have we been overhyping these last few years because the team's kind of just been able to mask their problems? Have we been overhyping the talent on an individual level? Mason excluded from that, obviously. Like, has Mason been throwing his receivers open more so than not? Because I, rem- I mean, I remember Jalen's year. They always, they had the big play, but that's kind of always what they had. They always won on the big play. They never really Talking about sophomore year. It's sophomore or, year. I'm sorry, Mason sophomore year. Yeah, they they always sustained the drives because of the big plays. Because Mason threw over, threw open Jalen Geitner, threw open Rico, or threw open whoever. Did we did we over always overhype those guys? Because once they were figured out, like Jalen in his in Mason's junior year, yeah. what did he have? Once and then Rico came onto the scene, and then this year we obviously didn't get to see a product of that. But you know what I'm saying? Have we overhyped the talent? I'm not sure because I feel like that's a very loaded question. It is, it is. But I just wanted to. And know. I'm trying to break it down into a way that I can consume it, and a way that people can consume yeah. it. Because I don't even know if I can consume that question at a legitimate level. I feel like you did a good job explaining it, though, because you kind of you laid it out well. But to ask if we overestimated the talent, well, go ahead. And, and I say that because in the end, this is a Conference USA team. Like, I mean, those guys could have gone other places if they, if they like Jalen obviously had offers to other schools, but he picked this place because he knew that he was going to play. Was that because, did he come here because he knew he could play or because he was just a Conference USA talent that's a good receiver? Obviously went to the NFL yeah, to yeah, be in a practice Nick, squad. Nick kind of in a similar Same way. Same with Nick in a similar way. He offers it to other schools. But, but he knew he was at this. But level. he knew he was going to start at this level. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to properly answer that question. In without you know taking. I feel like I need like an hour to to analyze this question. Well, yeah, because you'd have to look at stats. You'd have to look at film. Because I there's mean, there's a lot that points to this team as having high group of five talent. Like there's a lot that. When you look at this team on paper, you could say Mason Fine is a top five group of five quarterback. Rico Bussey is a top five group of five receiver. Um, Ladarius Hamilton is a top 10, 10 defensive lineman in group of five. 
let's just throw our numbers. Like you have the top end talent, and then you have the middle tier guys, Jalen Darden, theoretically Kyrie Muhammad entering the year. Yeah. Um Kelvin Smith entering the year. Uh Trey Siggers now we know is a adequate group of five group of five running back. So I don't know. Here's the, okay, here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. I feel like we properly estimated the top end talent that this team had. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like we overrated the bottom end talent this team this team has and the depth that this team has. So, so, so we we didn't anticipate the bottom of this team being as I don't want to say bad, but no, you can say it as bad as it's been. Yeah, like the offensive line is not good for a group of five level, and they have been like we we entered the year saying like okay they can be like seventh in conference USA. Yeah, we overestimated that. All right, we said okay. Um, uh, the defensive line they have Ladarius, and then you know they can do some other stuff. Dion Noville has been good too. And then we said the linebackers will be okay, right? Right, and okay in conference USA is low end. Exactly, they're okay. low end. Group five the, no, I, I like secondary. We completely overrated because we said they were a good conference USA one, and we. But then we also said you know they they have questions still, right? We overrated the bad parts of this team. So so you're saying Mason Fine. Rico Bussey, Nick Harvey, and well, I guess we'll throw in Trey Siggers and Ladarius Hamilton are top end group of five players, but the rest of them are all low end. I mean, I'm saying the disparity right now, the disparity right now between the top end players and low end players is very big. And it doesn't, and a perfect example of that is Houston. And I'm sorry, a perfect example of the opposite is Houston. I feel mm-hmm. like Derek King goes down, you have Clayton Toon right there, who's an 86 rated out of high school and is very good. That is the example of a team that can sit its starting guard, starting center, starting running back, starting quarterback, starting receiver, and still play at a level where they take SMU to the wire, where they take, like, they're playing teams to the wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I And that's the I example that. of a team that. that has solid depth. No, I agree with that. North Texas does not have good depth. They are having to play Deion or Deontay Simpson. They're having to play Deion Hare Griffin. They're having to play uh, Kevin Wood, Gabriel Murphy, Larry Nixon, Deshaun Gaddy on special teams. Go down the list. They're having to play young guys. And these guys are going to be good players, but they're young. The, and, literally true freshmen. Yes, you're playing true <laughs> freshmen. Yeah. Jair Shorter, retro freshman. Greg White, retro sophomore. Austin Agumakin, retro freshman. These guys are young. Yeah. And so disparity wise it really hurts I, I, I like that and comparison so that's why I feel like when you play a school like Houston I feel like it was a good thing for us to play them without their five five of their starters on offense because Man, if they had Derek King no I'm not even talking about because of the score I'm talking about because we got to see what a te- what a good group of five team looks like yeah. and a good group of five program looks like with good depth from from and, top down yes a team that is not reliant on De'Aaron King a team who is not reliant on a Heisman level quarterback but instead a team who can plug in players that aren't that big of a drop off who can plug in players who might have experience still who can plug in players who were <sighs> who went to Texas and then came yes, back with veteran who, leadership yes, Kyle Porter for example yeah. who were among that level so I'm just saying that that's the level that North Texas wants to be at okay. and while we were miss guided by the top end talent on this team 
we thought the top end talent Mason Fine and would and, make up for the the low end. Yes, talent. and then we also overrated the bottom of the team. So, we thought that so, well. I, have so I think that that answers the question. So then a follow up question would be: Is this is this season really not an outlier? And the last three seasons were an outlier because on the timeline, Houston had a timeline where they were able to build up a, the program. Yeah. North Texas had. Four years ago, where Ren Baker came in, hired Seth Luttrell, they all of a sudden got the godsend in Mason Fine, and then it kind of fast-tracked their timeline, and we all just kind of overlooked the step. We saw the end, but we didn't see the process. So, I think that's a great point. So do you, so do you think that it, the last three three years have been the outlier, in a sense? I think that's a great point. I don't know, I don't know if the last three years have been the outlier because you've had Mason Fine, not, but not, I, think that, I think that you're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head in that they were given Mason Fine not because he was a 90-rated four-star commit, right? but instead because he evolved into this player that could be drafted. and He, he was, for all intents and purposes, the Tom Brady yes, exactly. for, for, this, for this team. Exactly. And so they were, like you said, I think that you just made a terrific argument that they were fast-tracked in a sense. And the first two recruiting classes, like we said for Seth, were not great. They were at the bottom four right. or five in Conference USA. Right. And as a new coach, you kind of get those grace years to build up relationships with the coaches in the area. You get relationships with coaches in the in the state, really. Mm-hmm. And in DFW area, you're competing with so many guys. SMU now, who's 8-0. Yes, you're competing with so many teams for those recruits that you kind of need that period to get comfortable, get your feet wet. And he didn't have that. Yeah. He had two classes, and he won at such an early level that it raised expectations when they shouldn't have been raised. Exactly. So they won nine games the second year, and he's like, uh, but if you look at their recruiting class, they had the right. 11th. They did the recruiting process class. backwards. They had the, they, they got the top, top in talent first without building the foundational players. It's like it's like not having good offensive. I guess it's 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 like it is now. You don't have the good offensive linemen from the, the good recruiting. You just have the top end skill players that you're not able to use because the foundation isn't there. Yeah, and so... I mean, we saw Mason Fine, we saw Jalen Guyton, uh, we saw other, we saw EJ Agia come in. Like they, these are all transfers and guys who right. were not naturally recruited. So when you look at the twenty seventeen, yeah, twenty seventeen class that ranked eleven in Conference USA, and that had, you know, you still had Jalen Guyton as the best player on there, but then you had Cade Pearson on there, and he's gone now. Yeah, and you have a bunch of guys who aren't on the team anymore. It's kind of a, it's kind of difficult. So. I think you make a great point in that, um, man. I I think that that kind of, in, I think that that envelops a lot of of what has gone uh, has yeah. gone kind of wrong because the expectations were raised extremely fast and Seth Luttrell was praised, and rightfully so. As, yeah, as he should because have been. he had Mason Fine and he won games. So, but it just changes completely how your team is perceived. It wasn't so. a sustainable way to keep the building together. Yeah, and in two years, if he keeps up with the great recruiting and the great players coming in, I think this team is going to be fine. Right. This team is going to be completely fine. Yeah. But you just, you don't have that depth right now. And they're going to have that depth, I think, in two years, in three years. They're going to be fine. But at this moment, you're not, when you play Houston, the depth shows. So, so so our decision is that just so then we can have one precise answer to whatever this question that has evolved into tangents, this team was basically fast tracked. To where it is, to the expectations it had now to be the next UCF or whatever. Yes. Where in reality, they just outperformed 
where they should have been along. They're, they're still on track for all intents and purposes on the timeline for building a program. Yes, yes. And you're allowed to, I mean, exactly. If this team would have gone five and five and eight to six and seven or without Mason fine. Yeah. And continue to like build up to go, to go seven and five, seven and five to then you take the step forward with a nine to five with the deeper team stuff. It's a different story. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think that that's, um, they were fast tracked and I can, I think that it's something that not a lot of people are talking about. So I'm glad we brought it up. I'm glad you brought it up that Mason fine does not represent the depth of this team. It doesn't, right. we, like you said, the top end talent, we does can not... praise the top end and we were blinded by the top end. I was blinded by the top end talent. I will take complete blame of this. I am part of the media that creates perception. We had a goddamn hashtag that said, this is it. It was it. I mean, it still is it. No, and this is it for this for, year. For Mason. Yes, for Mason. For Mason, Ladarius Hamilton, and, and everyone else on the, every other senior on this team. But again, they've had to kind of fast track this because of Mason. Yep. And so we'll see how they do in the future. I think that they're going to be f- perfectly fine in the future. I don't know about next year, but two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, if they continue. If they keep Seth, if, if they, they keep getting recruits. They keep bringing in recruits. They're yeah. going to have that depth that you need. And I think that that's they have to build the foundation to first before you can build the house. Exactly. Okay. Um, real t- uh, but, 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 we answered all those questions. I feel like uh, NTSN asked asked us about fine in the NFL. I feel feel like we kind of talked about that. You talked about that when you talked about his perception in the right. Way. Yeah. So I'm fine with that. We'll get into fine in the NFL. I feel like after the season. Yeah. That that'll be a big talking point. That'll be huge. That's talking about. That's we'll have his pro day. We'll yeah. have all that good stuff. Um. Two more questions real quick. One is NTSN asked the attendance prediction for UTEP. Keep in mind UTEP is homecoming. It's not going to be more than uh, Middle Tennessee. Which was 15, uh, 16. 15, 16 announced. Probably 11. 11, 11 in, yeah, I don't think reality. it's more than that. Yeah, I don't. I agree. I would say like 15 announced 10 in yeah. reality. Which is fine. I'm not going to sit here and blame. <laughs> well, I'm not going to sit here and blame the fans. I no, mean, I know. I, yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Okay, uh, Jeff W. I he wanted wanted to light it up, lighten it up after his um his question. So I'll end it with this: What is your favorite color, Colin? Green. It cannot be green, Colin. Colin, what is your favorite color? My favorite color is actually purple. I like purple. I did not know that. You didn't know that? Yeah, when I was at, whenever I used to do BMX, my I had my uh my my spokes and my uh. Everything my back my back rim and everything was purple like purple accent yeah favorite color is purple just a good color I think yeah, but it has to be a deep purple it can't be like a like a lavenderish I think my mom's favorite color is purple <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say <laughs> I did not know that your favorite color is yeah. purple Colin yeah that's very interesting what's your favorite color blue basic dang couldn't get a purple no 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 it's it's blue you need, and you need to rip out like an like a like a I like feel like it. a light blue is a good too. I feel like I feel I, like we needed to like really research this so we could throw out like macaroni yellow or like yeah, something yeah. weird like that. Like exactly. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it's 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 blue. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. Um, all right, Colin, we have a basketball podcast to do after this. So, long day, long day, long day, long day. So let's get to it. Um, First, uh, I want to thank all of y'all for listening. I want to thank all of you for your questions. Let's let's oh, please God, not make Colin this sound like an end of the year season podcast. We I did still that have last four week, games. Two weeks ago, I know, but I just want to make sure that we do not make this sound like this is the last football podcast. Hey, they keep coming back, man. We <laughs> we build it 
and they will come Colin we're the best North Texas podcast in the world yeah I'd, I'd say that that's, that's probably a pretty good statement I don't really know if there's a whole lot of you know Spaniard Mean Green podcast or yeah. Hungarian Mean yeah, Green podcast yeah. we're there. the best in the world Colin right and so for I feel, that I feel pretty good about that yeah so for that leave us a five star review on Apple podcast um, we we need to get up to from wherever we are. Have you checked recently, Colin? We were last at, time I checked, it was at 15. We were at 15 last I checked, but that was like a week ago. Get us up to 16, 17. Tell your friends. Tell your grandma. Tell everybody that lives in Denton. Um, follow us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Mean Green 24-7 on Twitter. Um, subscribe to Mean Green 24-7. That's who we do this for. Uh, we appreciate your question. We appreciate your listenership. Everything will be okay, even though we just gave y'all 10. We gave 10s on the panic meter. Colin is coughing. Sorry. All right. I think that's all I have. Thank you for listening. Y'all have a great week.